This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me from LA, an Australian film geek made good. Ladies and gentlemen, Alicia Malone, thank you so much for being part of One Heat Minute. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I was listening to your podcast, really enjoying it. And I have to say, since moving to LA, I've got a newfound appreciation for heat. And I especially love the minute that you've given me. So thank you for that. Well, look, you know, I was talking to Alicia about jumping on board on the show at some point. And I said, you know, what what kind of, you know, do you have a preference? Everyone wants to do the cafe scene. Everyone wants to do the the bank heist. Um, But Alicia's like, look, Blake, I love Al Pacino. So you just give me some Pacino and I'll be really happy. And this movie has a plethora of Pacino. But because Alicia has taken the time out of her own podcast and and all of her other many journalistic gigs that she does, I thought there's only one moment that we can do together, Alicia. So right now we are at the one we are at the 79th minute so if you're looking at you it'll say one hour and one hour 18 minutes up to one hour 19 minutes and this is the infamous al pacino's vincent Hanna great ass scene so here we go let's have a watch together you guys can listen along relish that beautiful line and then alicia are going to come back and talk more of heat and this specific minute with you well you go to work for us cut and dry that is it. Oh, shit. Charlene Scheherlis. Who? 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 Were you a fucking owl? The lady you've been talking dirty to on telephone every day last week. Yeah, all right. You know what? You can't tie me to her. Yeah, well, who needs to? Because your ass is on a plane back to New Jersey, Jag off. Oh, man. I just... Why'd I get mixed up with that bitch? Because she got a great ass! And you got your head all the way up it. Jesus. When I think of asses, woman's ass, something comes out of me. So? So? No big thing. All I want is her husband and his whole fucking crew. Now you're going to work with Sergeant Trucker here. Oh, Oh, I'm like crying with so much joy. (laughs) I love this scene so much. And actually, I rewatched the film this morning just to refresh my memory. But I also saw it fairly recently on a rooftop in L.A. They have this rooftop cinema. And so it was really a great setting. The real LAPD was circling overhead in the helicopter, but they give you headphones so that you can hear the movie, which I love as someone who hates distractions in movies. I was with my friend Matt, and he loves this scene too. And when it came on, we were just like silently gesturing with joy the way that he reads that line. It's brilliant. And it's a what what a lot of people don't realize is this is maybe the 10th or 11th take of this particular scene. <laughs> and 
Pacino was riffing. He was trying to get a rise out of Azaria. And Azaria is kind of like, Azaria is a very accomplished actor. So he's sort of sitting there waiting for the lines to happen. And it was, Pacino wasn't getting enough of a rise out. He wasn't intimidating him enough. So he just pulled it out. This random, got in his face, did the, like the big curvature with his hands. Great. And the The shot, the shot is legitimate. That is what is so fantastic about this scene. I think it's like. Yeah. And. Oh, I was going to, oh no, I was going to say, so do you think, is this like a scene that people love to make fun of because they love it or a scene that when you think of it in the context of the movie, it works? Because I'm really interested after breaking down heat minute by minute, I think that this scene makes sense for the character, but so many people are like, what the hell is going on? I know. I think it absolutely makes sense. And it also is such a brilliant way to encapsulate what was what is great about Al Pacino and that is the unexpected nature of him. You never know how he's going to read a line, how he's going to gesture with his hands. He's so, especially as this character, so animated and energetic. And I know 2016 didn't, they did like a big 20th anniversary of the film and the cast was there. And Al Pacino said that Vincent was actually on cocaine the whole time, (laughs) which I think goes some way to explain some of his erratic behavior. But I also love when Michael Mann talks about how Vincent used that unpredictable nature as almost an interrogation tactic that the the guys that he was talking to would never know what to expect because you just wouldn't know what he was going to do next so I love that in the context of that this scene I think absolutely works I also think it's hilarious it's obviously very (laughs) it's a meme it's gone viral on the internet can you imagine this is 1995 and it still has like meme cred can you imagine if it came out like 10 years ago like even 10 years ago, five years ago, it'd be the best meme on the internet. It's it's out. Absolutely. And I think you're right that Hank Azaria's reaction to it is what makes it Priceless. equally great because, you know, he he said that Michael Mann told him not to improvise, but he couldn't help when, when Pacino was in his face yelling at him <laughs> to just say, like, Jesus. And then that ended up making the film. And he's tweeted since saying, like, that was not acting. That was genuine fear <laughs> about Pacino. <laughs> I, and I think it's it's so good because you're right from from a character perspective, but also from like an actor and ensemble perspective. You get Wes Studi and McKelty Williamson behind him, and they look like statues. Like looking at this now, as I was watching with you, I was watching Pacino, and he's he's in and out of the frame. He's like down, he's high in the frame because he's moving toward the camera. Like the camera even feels that it doesn't quite know what to expect with him, but they're very specifically staged at that sort of top right of the frame. You know, McKelty Williams has got that great stance. His hands in his pockets just looks awesome as hell. And, uh, and where's Judy sort of leaning there, but they look like statues and he's just going crazy. So that's the, that's what's even funner is like, he's, he's framed it with these actors and these performers and they're just containing this ball of energy. That's Pacino and, and Vincent Hanna. But yes. I, li- I like it too. I, I don't, I'm really, it's hard. I don't know if I needed that information about the bump of cocaine. I don't, I don't know if I needed yeah, that. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to know that. I mean, yeah. sure, sure, yeah, it, it could fit with the character. But yeah, I, I prefer to think that he's just this erratic, volatile guy. Yes. 
Me too. I, I'm a much bigger fan of exactly like you said, it is a it is a tactical exercise to put people off, especially people who's trying to get information out of because they look to the side and they just see these blank canvases of guys who are just looking at him like this is normal and he's clearly like this hand gesture in the face and screaming is clearly not normal but it's great it's fantastic exactly and yeah you don't know like what could he do i mean first when when he strides into that factory alan's like i know people and he you know doesn't (laughs) seem phased he's like you're you're from la you can't you got no jurisdiction here in vegas so i think he really needed to shock him and make him understand and and sort of just convince him that he had to help them become an informant, you know, against these very scary gangsters. And once again, this this performance in this uh, scene is just such at contrast to what Robert De Niro does in his other scenes where he's the cool, calm, in-control guy. Yes. And so it works so perfectly. Yeah, they, they, they do these weird ebbs and flows. Like sometimes Vincent's like really cool. I just think of that opening yeah. scene. He's just very calm. He's just pointing. He's not even talking, pointing. Tell me about this. Tell me what you know about this. And then there's only a few moments where you see Neil get crazy. One of them mm-hmm. is around this Alan Marciano character when he finds out about their relationship. You know, he gets that really crazy scene, another really heightened one. But how, I mean, you said at the start of this podcast, how awesome was it? With headphones on to watch heat outside, <laughs> so like does like what are, like uh, the LA natives? Is this sort of a a classic for the landscape? Is this something that's got a little bit of p- pulling power for those outdoor cinema screenings that you went to? Yeah, absolutely. It was sold out. Everyone was so excited to see Heat in LA and it is one of those proud films. It's a movie that I always loved because I I love movies, gangster movies, like, you know, the Jean-Pierre Melville movies like Dirty Money, which this reminds you of, or Le Samurai with the cool, calm gangster at the (laughs) centre of it. Um, So I always liked this film, but as I said, I have a new appreciation since moving to L.A. and being able to spot some L.A. landmarks and see a different side of L.A. that I didn't see because I moved here only seven years ago, so I wasn't around here in the 90s. So it's almost a nostalgic view of L.A. And also when I first got here, I purposely went to Cat Mantellini, which is where they shot the that famous diner scene when they're opposite, uh, you know, on the table and above that table there was a huge photo of them from that scene. So it's definitely a proud moment. Unfortunately, that restaurant no it's longer now exists. closed, I know. But it's perfect to see it in that, uh, in, in that environment and I got giddy. I was so excited. <laughs> and with my headphones turned up, I could really concentrate on everything that was going on and see more details than I had seen before and uh, just enjoy the madness of Pacino in this movie. Now I have to ask Alicia, for, for fans of One Heat Minute, do you have a photo of you at Cat Mandolini's? Do you have a no, photo? No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't do damn that, it. unfortunately. Damn. One of my friends who covers movies uh, for Fox in DC, he he's like, the biggest heat fan and i remember he went and took a photo nice. you know the exact same pose <laughs> and everything and i wish i did that i wish i did that i was so excited to be there but i kind of just took it for granted that that restaurant would be around forever oh well i, I, th- I think it's yeah. weird it's like when the movies that you love though the, the great thing about this movie is that set in an actual living you know la feels like a real city like it's not just a you know, that's when you get a film set you get super excited because you're like oh my god this is that this is that scene you know this is moss Eisley cantina imagine being able to go there when they created that set you know back in uh, in pinewood but 
what's cool is that there are spots and places and um, I had a chat to Luke Doolin. Uh, so guys who would be listening, uh, Aussie editor of Animal Kingdom, Academy Award nominee, a short film nominee. And he's, he's a house where we were, we were talking about a scene that coming up later in the film. I've put a little snippet up. We're talking about the famous scene where Val Kilmer's Christian Hairless goes to see Ashley Judd and she gives the amazing hand gesture. And mm-hmm. we're watching that scene and we're, we're analyzing it as you and I are talking about it. And he goes, hold on a second. I live like I've seen those basketball courts. Like he lived in Venice and he'd walked past. He goes, I think I've walked past those basketball courts. And and it was just a fun thing to talk to both you and to Luke to go, oh, these LA natives are like in the sets, in this, like in my imaginary world, but it exists in LA. Exactly. Like on location, which (laughs) I didn't realize until I moved here, how rare it is that films shoot in LA and shoot LA for LA and shoot on location in LA. Similarly, I was excited about La La Land for the same thing. I was like, oh, I go there and I love that place too. And uh, heat just shows a different side of Los Angeles. Please don't get out of the freeway. (laughs) Yeah, I get out of my car, I dance in my room. You know, coming back from the airport. Um, But, yeah, Heat shows this grittier side to L.A. and that that kind of side that you usually see in movies about New York. Yes. And so it's kind of fun to see it with an L.A. setting. And these two guys that are used to, like, you're used to seeing Pacino and De Niro as these New York guys, not L.A. guys. How interesting is, so this is like, and now that I think about it, this is one of those rare scenes um, there's a couple of like weird time jumps in the movie that aren't mentioned. And one of them's right at the beginning with Christian Hales buying the shape charge for the first high scene. And then this scene, this little like dalliance to Nevada. And even when he talks to Albert, it, when he's finding out about that lead, that like uh, geographic is like two hours away from LA proper. There's some funny little time yeah. things. And so like, it's weird that this little spot, this is, this is all we get to see of Las Vegas. There's no glitz, no glam. It's just a factory, <laughs> a cruddy factory with, you know, Hank Azaria in like a, a cheap, but meant to look smart, but a very cheap suit. And uh, yeah, it's just really interesting. This is one of those outer, weird, out of time moments in the movie. Kind of yeah. Out of time, out of Los Angeles, although probably was shot in LA because you don't see any of Vegas. But yeah, thinking about it logistically, it's like, did they get a plane, which is, you know, they probably did and that's about 45 minutes away or did they drive, which is about three hours away and everything is close to LA, but still quite far apart at the same time. And you're right, it kind of just comes out of nowhere and then they just obviously go back to LA and just continues on like no time's passed. Yeah, that's the weird like... This, it's like how how long is this taking? Timeline. Yeah. yeah. Is the time? And and this one putting it when you put it together a minute at a time, it starts to get confusing. But I think, but I think it's just good. It's like time is passing. We know it's not you know we know it's not day by day by day, but things are happening pretty consistently, so we can see it all happening. We know. I I think I I think we can say from the time that uh, De Niro talks to Kelso, um, where he gets the job, that's like a month because he's like at the end of every month, there's this massive mm. amount of money so i think it's like he gives him like a month so for me it's like if you look at it it's probably over a month that they've done this 
to get to that point. So yeah, it's weird yeah. darting off. Yeah, it's this uh, yeah. I wonder how long it is total the the time frame of the movie. Well, Lisa, and you know it is a pool, it is a long your, movie with your pool and uh, and with all of the collective <laughs> people coming onto one heat minute one day. Michael okay, we're going to figure it out. Michael Mann may sit in this chair that you're in right <laughs> yes. now. And he may be in this chair. And then that episode will go for five days because we'll ask all the questions <laughs> that yes. 169 other episodes have been coming up with. Um, that would be great because, yeah, Michael Mann was such a, a master, obviously, you know, of of combining action with brilliant dialogue and just the pace of this movie. It's so long, but it flies by. Yeah, yeah, that that's uh, there's in longer movies, and I know you would, you know, Alicia, apart from being an entertainment journalist, often goes to, you know, film festivals and she's in, uh, you know, as we both are occasionally, and you just watch stream of movie after stream of movie. And especially when you're watching so many films, there's so much of an inclination to look down at a watch and go, yes. what is happening? Like, where are we? Where are we in the world? What's happening? I need to just check, like, how long this running time is because it's dragging. And heat never drags. It ne- no. Not even for a minute. You're just flying through every and such a big sprawling cast. I think it's seventy odd speaking roles um, in the movie, which is kind of unheard of. But uh, for for both you know people at, right in the center of the cast and sort of the su- fringe supporting ensemble, mm. um, and yeah. all really well developed and and obviously like as as a woman you know watching the female characters in gangster films they're always on the fringe but they get a little bit more to do in heat which i like and and even though this scene is is you know him pretty much objectifying Ashley yes. Judd's character <laughs> uh, just the way that he he says it elevates the scene for me and also i think like Scorsese uh, this is the world that these women inhabit and this is the way that they are talked about by these men. So it's kind of realistic to show them in that way. I agree. But I think what I think is funnier, and this is a wonder if you think this as well, is when I see this, I feel like Vincent is talking about women to um, to Hank Azaria's character like he yeah, would talk about and, women. Yeah, exactly. You've got to yeah. Like for the rest of the movie, Vincent does not exhibit anything close that's to that, true. To that, it's like he's just sort of like, this is what's going to get this guy's attention if I act Very uber macho and uber sort of. Because it's like he's trying to hold his marriage together, although he's addicted to the job, so he can't. That falls apart, and she's the one that cheats on him. And and um, but I think you're right, and I think that's again why it comes out of left field, and it seems yeah. so out of place, is because it's not the way he normally speaks, but. He's, uh, it's almost like he's making fun of him, like yes. making fun of the character of Alan. Like that's the kind of stupid thing that Alan would say. Because <laughs> before that line, you know, Alan says about like, why did I get involved with this bitch or something? So yeah. obviously doesn't respect her at all. Um, and yeah, it's like he's just making uh. fun of how little he thinks of women. And again, just over-exaggerating everything to the point where it's shocking. I just like, I'm going to have to, for the episode, um, if you guys are listening, jump onto one minute.com Cause I'm going to put some stills up. There should be a special category in the Academy Awards for people who are supporting and not breaking because Wes Studi deserves an Oscar for not breaking in the scene, as does Michael de Williamson. Like to to hold a straight face while Pacino does this madness, and then seeing Hank Azaria's stupid, like wide, you know, face agape at like what's happening. I just think yeah. it's just so perfect that I marvel at their performance. I'm like, oh my god, how did you stay? in character and keep mm. that real sort of stoicism. I mean, obviously they're professionals, but real proper professionals to nail exactly. that. 
Because if they hadn't, then no. if it's kind of seen that you can't really repeat because so no. much of so much of the brilliance lies in that surprise, which you can feel is genuine. You yeah. can feel it. And every time I watch that scene, and I've seen it so many times, um, I still get surprised. Like it's, it's, I notice little details and I just think, imagine just having him come at you with those eyes and like lunge towards <laughs> you and then do that kind of pelvic gesture that he does. It, it would be quite terrifying, <laughs> but hilarious to watch. So I think I would probably break like out of nervousness oh, if yeah. that was me. You would nervous laugh. You wouldn't absolutely yeah. nervous laugh. And uh, there's an under uh, look, and he just skates out of a, our minute in the first, in the very um, uh, proceed in the preceding scene. Is I, I love the detail of the overweight Nevada cop with a moustache. Like I <laughs> look at him all the time, and I'm like, he's probably a cop. Like he's probably really a cop or just some random dude that they got off the street who's done security or was like a, a you know a, a consultant on the film who was previously a police officer because mm. he just you look at him you're like Nevada PD you're like he drags his head like in just the preceding seconds before we kick off our minute and I just look at him like man he's so good as well like just this so guy good. yeah he, he just says does no that words. little nod you know yeah. just like. Mm. Yeah, I'm here. Give some meaning. And it does look so real. It it does add to the authenticity of it. And also the contrast between someone like him, the Vegas police versus the LAPD that's just like striding in places. And just before that minute, you know, he says, what what does he say? Like, Oh, the girl says, you can't go in there. And he's like, watch this. Watch, watch this. Yeah. He's... In he goes and then he <laughs> slams him down. It's like, whoa, just comes in like a tornado. He's great. And and Hank Azaria, massive props for his <laughs> role as Alan Marciano because literally I think it was around the same time he was shooting the birdcage. So he was going oh, from yeah. sleazy, sort of misogynistic, uh, kind of jersey um, uh, you know, sleaze bag. Um, to yeah. to to oh, I can't remember the character's name, but absolutely delightful fruit and hot pants wearing. lover. Um, so good. Just like such a a diverse actor. I mean, I mean, look, yeah. he, he is Mo and uh, he is Mo and many other things on The Simpsons as well. But just as an actual physical That's performer, great. he's really great. I think he's great in a lot of things he does, even like uh, something silly like Along Came Polly where like you for scuba, like (laughs) he's just so funny. And he also tweeted about this scene that he shot it on his 30th birthday. Oh, really? Which was actually also Al Pacino's birthday at the time too. (laughs) So it's nice. Happy birthday. Birthday celebration. (laughs) Happy birthday. I'm going to shock you into, I'm going to shock you into (laughs) one of the most memorable meme-like performances of your career. Exactly, but I think uh, Hank is quite proud to be part of this now. <laughs> he, ha- he has to be. I mean, look at the time he must have thought, oh, God, I can't believe it. It's that weird, you know, I think Kubrick talked about it um, with uh, Sterling Hayden um, in in a, in a Clockwork Orange. Um, oh, no, it was George C. Scott. In a, uh, sorry, uh, George C. Scott and uh, uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. yeah, when he's talking about how he had George C. Scott read every line with focus and intensity and playing it straight and then like one out of ten takes you go oh just ham it up and so george <laughs> c scott had ham it up and every hamming it up is in the movie because he knew that george c scott didn't want to he didn't want to ham up the performance so it was just like this pure creator manipulation and so I, I wonder if that's that fun thing of like man's going through all the takes and and al loves the reaction so much he's like you know what 
although all those other takes are probably something Hank would be happier with, I think it actually yeah. makes sense for this movie if this goes in. So it's that weird thing of like, Absolutely. You, it's the one take you probably didn't like your own stupid real reaction coming through the character, but I think that makes it so much more authentic. It really does. And, you know, I think I could have read the script for The Heat, you know, The Heat. I could have read the script for Heat before it was filmed and I would never have guessed with most of the way that Al Pacino reads his lines. And it's also the thing where you can imagine... You can imagine De Niro in the in the other role, the the role of the cop, and you can imagine Pacino as the role of the gangster because they both played both sides, but they would be completely different things. Yeah, it's really strange. I I, I wonder that because, you know, Pacino in that quiet, menacing mode, you know, Godfather, Godfather Part Two, he would play Neil Macaulay mm. with such like an Ice Man cool. It would be really great. But I think that I've got like a feeling of. Um, De Niro being a violent cop like he would have mm. beaten Alan Marcy you know what I mean I feel like it's like if, if the movie was made Brutal. 10 years earlier and like you know Abel Ferrara was the director or something like that it would be like a bad lieutenant like he would be a he'd be not a nice guy so it's yeah it's really weird because Pacino sort of he's he's like diminutive stature he's you know he is he's physically imposing when he gets in your face but he's not he doesn't look like he'd beat the hell out of you but this is kind of mm. Max Cady Robert De Niro so and, you know he's doing some chin-ups uh, in his off time he could beat the hell out of you it seems it seems like that yeah way. yeah he's really good at the menacing thing as well they're both are they're both so good and they just feel like they they either don't make them like this anymore or that's just not this kind of material for them for actors anymore because if this came out now you know, these days I feel like it's mainly huge blockbusters franchises or raunchy comedies yeah. um, or tiny indies. And I loved Good Time, which came out in 2017. Oh, fantastic. That's film. one of my faves. And I thought, you know, Robert Pattinson, when I watched that and his performance, I got shades of a De Niro or a Pacino performance from him. Oh, yeah. Probably like just a mixture of both. Uh, but, you know, there's just not this level of material that has a budget and has great roles for wonderful actors as much anymore. Yeah, and such a loaded cast. Like not, mm. you know, uh, being as a, you know, I think it's like it's about the pedigree of the actors and like you said, every single role in this movie, it's not just De Niro and Pacino who get these incredible roles. There's a stack of performers who've won Oscars or been nominated or gone on to huge <laughs> individual projects. Like you just have to look at the suite of people across all at the top of their game. And you're like, wow, this is a really like you sometimes get that in some small and we're starting to see it emerge in, in the Netflix landscape where you can get a really stacked cast, but it's, it's not quite like this and not of the budget. Like this is what a, I think it was around a $60 million movie and Warner brothers just said mm. nothing, you know, 60 yeah. or hundred million. And Michael Mann's like, yep, I've got it. And they're like, cool. Yeah. He's like, I've got Pacino and De Niro. They want to do it. And they're like, okay, <laughs> okay great. Sure. And, okay. Va and Val Michael Kilmer Mann. between doing Batman. They're like, yep. Val yeah. Kilmer. Val Kilmer. That's right. Val Kilmer. Didn't he say that was the best part about doing Batman was he also got to do uh, research for Heat at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And Dove Honig. <laughs> who's the editor, yeah. was the editing Batman Forever at the time that um, he was doing it. So Pasquale Buba, um, who's the other editor, who hopefully by the time this episode has come out, we've actually had a chance to talk to Pasquale Buba. He's going to be awesome. coming on the show, which is pretty exciting. Um, but, yeah, so Pasquale Buba started coming on to cut the movie and then Dove Honig joined him and then they started cutting together. But that was only after he got released from his duties as Batman Forever cut man. So really, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird little 
thing Warner Brothers had going on. I think they had a great balance because, you know, we're talking, you know, we're post a, uh, by the time this episode airs and there might be a little sneak peek a little bit closer to the time we're talking about, but you get things like the big Fox Disney deal. And at the time Warner Brothers was doing really, they could do superhero movies like a popcorn movie like Batman and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and action blockbusters like Lethal Weapon. But then they were committing a hundred million bucks to something like Heat. So there was a really nice balance they had going. So I'm wondering, really? if, I, yeah. wonder, I wonder if that exi- is going to exist in this new Disney owned world, Alicia. I have no idea. I don't know. Everything is cinematic universes <laughs> and <laughs> franchises. I'm sure, you know, that someone in, uh, in Warner Brothers is probably like, what do you think about Heat 2? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, like, we yeah. reboot a reimagining oh, of God. Heat. No. I hope not. No, no. I hope not. I hope not. Please. To. But, okay, if it was to happen, <laughs> okay, so because I think, I think Michael Mann had been writing a prequel novel with the intent that maybe mm-hmm. it would be a, and about these guys in their early career. And so they never actually meet. It's got a touch of, you know, Shades of Godfather, which is that they uh, their early career. I'm I'm voting right now Oscar Isaac for Pacino and John Bernthal Ooh. as De Niro. I'm, I'm happy. Oh, I'll, ta- yes. I'll, I'll take I that. I mean, Bernthal, yeah, looks so much like him. Oh, I'll and, take it. and Oscar too, and they're both great actors. I'll so. take they're, they're, That's free. That could be interesting. That, that's I'll, free. Yeah, I'll if, do that. No no reimagining, <laughs> but a prequel, sure, yeah. if, if man's on board. <laughs> yeah, and no de-aging. We don't want to see oh, Pacino no, no. de-aged. We don't want to see De Niro de-aged. None of that. Okay, we've had no. enough. That would be depressing. Oh, man. It would be so depressing because <laughs> it just would look so terrible. Oh, my God. Um, well, look, I have to say a huge thank you to you, Alicia. Thank you so much for being part of One Heat Minute. Um, thank you so much for listening and supporting us along the way. We really appreciate it. Guys, if you want to find out all the stuff that Alicia's doing, just go to aliciamalone.com. She's got her book. She's got her podcast. You guys will follow along all the way. You'll see her. Most likely, if you're in Australia, you might see her as you're walking through event cinemas on an interview screen, interviewing <laughs> someone if you're there. Um, but all the information is there. And you're... You, Leash, I have to ask, you're not much, you don't on the socials as much as you used to be. You've, you've sort of. Uh, no, I've kind of off. died down. I know, and I'm actually considering maybe not going on at all. Well, see. I don't know. That's a, Who knows? She's going off the grid. She's Jason Bourne in this place. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm going to, you know, live like Thoreau in a cabin <laughs> in the woods. No, it just seems like, um, especially at the moment, this point in time, in the US especially, it's uh, it's very volatile, it's very angry, and I get on social media and I just feel depressed about the world. Yes. So <laughs> I love connecting with people, so I'm just trying to figure out the uh, if there is a different way to do that. But, yeah, for the moment I've kind of just been jumping on, posting about what I've been doing and then being like, bye, See and off ya. I go. <laughs> so listen to the podcast. She'll let you know about that. But, uh, well, look, I, I, c- I commend you for getting off social media. It, it, it is. Um, I, I've had the luxury of um, my wife and I've had a little girl. And so being a dad automatically means you're on social media less because as soon as I pick up my phone, if my daughter is anywhere near me, she wants to look at what's on the phone. And then it's just a matter of her looking at herself, trying to take photos of herself on the phone. <laughs> Even at 13 months, it's she starts to un- they know. Yeah, How do they know? She understands. It's in her DNA. Um, so, yeah, yeah. look, um, uh, more power to you for that. But look, Guys, thank you so much for listening to One Heat Minute once again. You can follow Alicia on the socials, but probably follow her podcast best. It's Filmstruck. <laughs> iTunes. Yeah, the Filmstruck 
podcast. Just look at that. It's available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Awesome. So the Film Shop Podcast, you know where that is. That's the best place to find Alicia. You know where to find me, at oneheatminute.com. Thank you to Garth Franklin for our web design, Paul Davis for our music, and thank you guys for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review One Heat Minute. We'll catch you next week with the next minute. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs>